Okay, we are back in the book of 1 John this evening. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. I'll go ahead and pray for us as we start, and then we will jump in together. Father, I do thank you for your word, the way that it seeps down into our lives and changes uh, the core of who we are from the inside out. Lord, I pray that your word would not return to you empty, but would fulfill your purposes tonight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been working our way for a handful of weeks now through uh, John's first letter. And we said he's dealing with a central problem, and that is Gnosticism, the idea that you need Christ plus something, plus the secret higher knowledge. And he's answering the question how we can know if we know Christ. So not how we come to know Christ, that's through placing our faith in Christ, but a second question, and that is how do we know if we have this faith? How do we know if we do know Christ? And as he works through this book, he takes three main tests and he uses them as a way of helping us see and, and, and gauge our confidence in our relationship with Christ. So ultimately, he's not trying to say, do you know Christ? He's saying, can you have confidence in your relationship with Christ? These three tests are first, the truth test. So do you believe the truth of the gospel? Do you believe the truth about Jesus? Secondly, the life test. Does your life show that you know Jesus? And then thirdly, the love test. Do you love the family of Jesus? Now, as we've walked through this, it's good for us to kind of stop and ask each week which test John is highlighting for us. Uh, so last week, we were in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. And there, John highlighted for us the life test. In other words, if you say you know God, you ought to live in a way that shows that you're God's child. This week, uh, John switches tactics just a little bit. And as he does so, he addresses different groups within the church. We're going to be in verses 12 through 14 of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I'll read these verses for us, and then we will work our way through them. 1 John 2, verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Well, as we read these, and hopefully you're looking at them there in your copy of God's word, a couple of things will likely jump out at you quickly. One is uh, the way these verses are structured in our Bible. And so they're what we might call versification. So this is probably an early Christian hymn. So as I was reading it, it kind of, you might have thought, well, I think you just said that. Well, that's because uh, this is likely poetry, a hymn of some sort, and there's some uh, repetition. And so how does each line or each verse begin? John says, I'm writing to you, or I write to you, and, and then he addresses a different group of people. And who does each section address? He's got kind of six addresses here, but as you look at it, it's really two cycles of three. He addresses little children, fathers, young men, then children, fathers, and young men. Now, there are theories about who these groups represent, and it basically boils down to this. John is either writing to two groups within the church or three groups. Now, you might say, how could you get to two? Because there are clearly three groups, children, uh, fathers, men, young men. 
Well, if you look back up to the beginning of chapter two, verse one, how does he address people there? He addresses the entire church and he calls them what? My little children. He does this in verse 28, in chapter three, in chapter four, in chapter five. So five times other than this hymn in the book, he calls the entire church children. So in the end, it doesn't matter all that much, but children could be kind of a summary term for his view of the church. He addresses them as a father in the faith. But either way, there are at least two groups and possibly three that he's writing here. So in verse 12, when he addresses uh, these people as children, little children, he's using a term that really is unique. It's coming into, it's new in their vocabulary. So before Christ, Jews would sometimes refer to God as father, but never my father. So there was this representative, they, they, saw, they saw God as the father of the Jewish nation, but they, they hadn't yet established the idea of a personal relationship with God. And so they would never identify God as their father. And furthermore, John seems to, to also see himself as somewhat of a father uh, in the faith to them. And what is it that John offers them? Now, remember, he's been, he's been asking this question, how can you be sure if you know Christ? And the first thing he offers them in this hymn is assurance that their sins are forgiven. So he's been asking them, how can you know if you're a child of God? And then he stops here. He takes a moment to, to sing this song with them. And he offers this encouragement. I write to you because your sins are forgiven. Well, why would he do this? Because John has a pastor's heart. He knows the questions he's raising are raising uh, disconcerting kinds of questions in people's minds. Do I know if I'm a follower of Christ or not? And so right here he starts and he reminds us that our status in God's eyes isn't ultimately about whether we live well enough to show that we're God's kid. It's about are your sins forgiven through Christ? And so he stops here and he says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. And he bases this forgiveness on Christ's work, not our own. See, at the end of the verse, he says, your sins are forgiven. Why? For his name's sake. This assurance is based on the work of Christ. So when we get, begin to talk about how can I know if I know Christ, it can almost make us uh, introspective to the point of being painful. But John says the key is actually to look at Christ, not ourselves. So ultimately, to know if we're God's children, we have to look in faith to Christ, not inside at our own works. So John asks, how can you know Christ? And then he points them to Jesus himself. So what we see in John's letter here is that there's this balance between inspecting ourselves, saying, do I know Christ? Does my life show that I know Christ? And just looking at Christ, looking at what Christ has done, our sins are forgiven for his namesake, not for ours. And so John points them to Christ for the ultimate answer. John next writes to fathers. I'm writing to you fathers. Now, this fathers is probably a reference to older uh, generation believers in this church. John is writing at the, the end of the New Testament era, near the end of the first century. By this time, there are older saints in the church. And this is not a common term used to address people in the church. It probably means uh, either physical maturity or spiritual maturity. And hopefully, if we're doing things right, those things go hand in hand. They don't always, but as people grow older in Christ, they grow more mature in Christ. 
And John offers them assurance based upon their personal knowledge of God. They know him who is from the beginning. Well, who is it that's from the beginning? Well, if you look all the way back up to one, chapter 1, verse 1, John introduces us to him. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The person who is from the beginning is Jesus Christ. So there's this reference, again, to the older, these older folks in this church, reminding them that their relationship with God is based on knowing Christ personally. Well, when he uses this term fathers, it's going to be important because the next term he uses is what? Young men. Young men, because you have overcome the evil one. So we've got fathers. This is probably a reference to older believers in that church. Young men is probably a reference to very young believers in this church. And so what we see here is that one evidence of the gospel in the life of a church is a multi-generational church. So you look at a church like ours, and really, the desire is to take the gospel and hand it from one generation to the next, so that very young children to the, uh, the uh, oldest living saints share the same faith in different ways, express it in ways that are appropriate to their, their age, their culture, their state in life. But really, what we want to do is learn from one another. So younger believers want to learn from older believers what it means to think about, meditate on being close to eternity, to have a different perspective on what happened yesterday because there have been a lot of yesterdays in their life. And, 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 uh, and older believers can be inspired and energized and motivated by, by zeal of young people. And so John offers assurance to both of these groups, the young and the fathers. And he offers this assurance to the, to the young men based on this, you have overcome the evil one, a reference to Satan. And so Jesus Christ secures our victory through forgiving our sin, but then we live in a way that shows that we overcome the evil one. Then he writes to the children because you know the father. Again, John writes based on this knowledge of God, this personal relationship. So this is slightly different from what he said before because he said, you know him who is from the beginning. That's a reference to Jesus. Now the children, he says, know the father. So there's this reference to God as father. It's a slightly different focus. So how does knowing God as our heavenly father change our lives? Well, to know God is to become like God. To see God is to increasingly reflect the character of God. It's like kids look and act like their dad. Do you ever have this uh, experience, either with your kids or grand, grandkids? You see them do something and it scares you because you didn't want to see it and it was just like something you would do? Well, that's because kids reflect their parents. Like my kids at some level, they act like me often more than they act like you, even when it's to their own detriment. Kids act like mom and dad and grandkids act like, act, they, they pick up family traits. And so we ought to pick up the traits, the family traits of our heavenly father. Verse 14, he addresses fathers again. And now he says, they know him who is from the beginning based on their knowledge of Jesus. Second Corinthians 3.18 says that it's by seeing Jesus that we become like him. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is a spirit. And so there's this gradual change, degree by degree by degree, of becoming more and more like Christ. 
And how do we do that? We do that by beholding his glory, by seeing who he is in the word. John again writes, the young men, verse 14, I write you because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Isn't it interesting that he addresses the young people in the church and he says, you are strong. Now, I don't know how many younger uh, generation folks we have signed on here tonight, but the truth is that older generation saints bring wisdom and maturity that younger people cannot. But young people bring energy and vitality that older people cannot. We were talking about this uh, yesterday in our house. Uh, some uh, friends brought by, we got a slip and slide set up in the backyard. I mean, our kids were out there for hours yesterday. I was out in the garage exercising yesterday, then I'm doing some work in the garage. And the whole time, Joseph is going 100 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. And it's nine o'clock at night. I think that dude is going to crash, but he's still going. And I'm like, how is this possible that a single human being could have this much energy? It's the gift of youth. Young people bring a vitality to the church. And so this is why um, generational relationships, intergenerational relationships are God's gift to the church. Young folks can learn from older folks and older folks can learn from younger. And strength ultimately comes from maturity in the word. He says, the word of God abides in you. So how is it that we become not just energetic young people, but strong people? by being people of the word, by people who, as Psalm 1 pictures it, have their li- the, the, the roots of their lives dug down deep into the word of God so that no matter what comes our way, nothing can shake our faith because our roots are there. We ultimately overcome the evil one through faith in Christ through the word of God. John talks about overcoming the world, not just here, but also in chapter four and in chapter five. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. First John five verses four and five. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Well, what is this poem? What is this hymn? It's an appeal to the experience of our faith in different stages of life. Now, we can't establish something as true or not true based solely on experience. But we can grow in our faith and give others a model of faith by experience. And so what he says here is, inspect your life for fruit. Does your life demonstrate that you know Christ? But ultimately, the experience of this relationship with God through faith in Christ is how your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven through him, and through him, we can overcome the world. So it doesn't matter if you're a young person in the church, or if you're a church father, as he references it here. We know God through faith in Christ, and we become strong by digging the roots of our lives deep into God's word. Well, I hope this is an encouragement to you in the middle of your week. Uh, It's encouraging to see your faces here tonight. I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. I'm going to pray for us. And, uh, and then we'll give a, a moment, hopefully, to, to visit uh, again with each other. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for Christ who gave his life for ours, that through him we have forgiveness of sins. But not only that, God, we have the strength, the power through your word and your spirit to overcome the world. So God, I pray that you will help us 
not only receive Christ by faith, but live out our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.